Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are finishing our series in the book of Exodus with a conversation today about the human journey. The question for you is, what's the last major transition you went through and what did you learn from it? Enjoy. Uh, we love the conversation time at New Abbey. Brittany and I often talk about how this is our favorite part, like hearing just the cacophony of voices and what you guys have going on. In fact, we think maybe it's the most important part of, of what we do in a lot of ways, that we get to hear each other's voices, and it's a gift. So we are finishing the book of Exodus today in chapter 14. Again, it's not finished. There's 40 chapters in all. Uh, I have a friend, and my friend has this picture on his desk and on his desk, it is a picture of an elephant's butt. You see where I'm going. And on this picture that is drawn, and it's large on his desk of the elephant's butt, it says hindsight. And I think that wherever transitions you've had in life, you've hopefully learned something from that major transition, and hindsight is a great gift. If you knew then what you know now, how would you have dealt with that situation? And part of the gift of scriptures is giving us the gift of hindsight. So we can either read the scriptures as a historical document that is literally true and it had some things to say 3,000 years ago or there's a Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago and we need to study what was going on in the Roman world in the ancient time and we need the context for those reasons. Or we take the Bible more seriously and say, oh, there's layers of truth here. There's hindsight, actually, for the human journey. This isn't some ancient, right, story that has nothing to do with my life in the book of Exodus. Oh, this is my story and my journey. This is part of what it just means to be human, and there's a gift here of hindsight, right? A freaking giant elephant's butt staring me in the face with some wisdom for actually how I can live this human life. Now, that seems a little bit more compelling, so we're going to finish Exodus because we actually have to get to the Red Sea and we're going to cross the Red Sea today and we're going to talk about how that's transitioned and the human journey. But we've got to do a few things first. And first we've got to talk about Pharaoh again because we, we talked about we might as well just name this series Pharaoh because this first part of the book of Exodus has a lot to do with Pharaoh. And we're going to talk about Pharaoh by talking about ego and our false self. And if we're going to talk about ego and our false self, then we probably need to talk about Pablo Escobar the number one Colombian drug dealer and cartel, right, of the 80s and 90s. You see where I'm going, Narcos fans out there. This will be good. And then if we're going to talk about the ego, then we're going to talk about the Israelites, we're going to talk about our true self, and that there's these multiple layered components going on within us. And if we're going to talk about the Israelites, we need to say, oh, the Israelites didn't get there on their own. They had some help, and there was giant walls of water all around them, and where is our perspective? And then if we're going to talk about, you know, drug dealers from Colombia, and giant walls of water, then we obviously have to finish it off with, 
where's all of our wine going? Great, you guys see what I'm doing here? This will be fun. Check out Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near, let's say, P, between Migdal and the sea, and they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of, let's say, B. And Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Again, this is just an ancient way of telling stories. Gods beat up gods in the ancient world. This is how humanity moves forward. We have more layers than that now, but we're actually probably just as simplistic about how we think about cause and effect in the world that we live in. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Again, this is a strong statement if you have just lived through the 10 plagues. We will talk about our ego later, but sometimes when we endure the upturning of all of creation and the firstborn sons of all of the children around us have died, our ego can still get to a place of saying, more and mine. Even when we've lost all hope, our ego still says, I still want it. And it's damaging. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near P, opposite of B. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Again, you also just witnessed the 10 plagues. You witnessed like the whooping that God put on the Egyptians. And now you're sitting here like, well, I know what's in Egypt and I'm more comfortable with what I know back there, even though this thing is abusive than the possible unknown over here because the unknown is more terrifying than the comfortable things that actually oppress me. Hmm, some of us have been there. So Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with the strong east wind and turned it into dry land. 
The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. God jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving, and the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water in their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in God and in Moses, his servant. And that's an entire chapter. That's a lot of reading. So let's do a little bit of work. First, we need to talk about a little bit of the context so that we understand it in a broader way. But we want to understand like the human journey context that's actually taking place in the book of Exodus. There are some revolutionary things happening here in the ancient world. One of those revolutionary things that's happening in the ancient world is God is breaking the cycles of time. If any of you come from families of addiction like I do, you understand the cycles of time. I understand what my great-great-grandfather did to my great-grandmother and what she did to my my grandmother and what she did to my mother and to my aunts and the product that I am today and why I have a good $15,000 worth of bills of therapy, right? And I don't say that to mock them. I don't say that to even blame them. I say that with the realization that there are cycles in this world that we are all a part of and that is called the human journey. But in the ancient world, what would happen is if you were a part of those cycles, you were always a part of those cycles. If you were lucky enough to be born into Pharaoh's house, good for you. That was the cycle that you were in and the gods had ordained that for you. And if you were the other 99.999999%, you were just slaves and servants to the kings, my friends. And these were the cycles that you had in life. Now, for us today, we say, well, there's no kings and there's no queens and there's really not monarchs. But what we've been talking about in the book of Exodus is that we live in this world of oppression. We all live in a slavery of some capacity. This is just what it means to be human. It is a part of our reality and who we are. But God comes along in the ancient world and he says, I don't care if it's Pharaoh. I don't care if it's the person who built the pyramids. I will break those cycles and there will be a new way to move through time. And this is a gift to humanity to say that even the greatest oppressors, whether they be systemic or your own unique individual pains and wounds, I can break those chains too. And so the ancient world just looked at things in a big giant circle and that's just the way that they were and things were just always repetitively moving in that way. And then the Bible comes along, the story of Exodus comes along and it begins to say this, There is a path that you take, but then you move forward. There is a path that you take, but then you move forward. There is a path that you take, right? And this thing just keeps moving on. And this is the trajectory of humanity, and this is the trajectory of your individual journey as well. You do not have to endlessly be on a loop in your life, right? For my Westworld friends out there, right? You actually can get out of the loop. Apparently, I'm watching too much television these days. (laughs) 
interesting. I'm avoiding some problems, clearly. And so um, what we do is we actually get to move forward in life, and this is how we learn. Like, this is the evolution and the story of the Bible. This is why I'm always interested when people want to take the Bible really literally, and they're like, every word is true and the same. Really? I'm going to read a passage to you from Numbers, and you're going to tell me it's as powerful as the Good Samaritan story? That's not even true of the Bible, right? Even Jesus never quotes Joshua or Judges. It's like he's saying, oh, there's parts of the cycle that we're never going to repeat again. The Bible is filled with evolution. God starts by talking to one family and ends up with a universal spirit that's for all of humankind. I think the thing got a little bit bigger over time, and so can your life. But it happens when we're willing to engage in the narrative of the human story and we stop reading the scriptures and stop encountering the spirit as something that has happened somewhere back there. We are a part of this giant story that's going on. There are two major salvation stories in the Bible that you should be aware of. And again, they evolve too. One is the Exodus story and the other is the Gospels. Think of it like the Golden Gate Bridge. These are the two stories that hold up the platform for the rest of the Bible. Um, There's a lot of other wonderful things that go on, but these two stories say, and this is what God has come to do. In the Exodus story, it's about the Israelites. It's this God who has evolved and moved along and invited a people group into a journey and has said, I will save you from your oppressors. And in the story of Jesus, we get to a place where it says, now I will save all of humanity from their oppressors. And we get to books like Colossians and the scriptures say, and I desire the reconciliation of all things. Guess what's left out of all? Nothing. That's the good stuff. And so that's where this thing is moving forward. So we have a larger context. We have history that's moving forward. We have a larger version of what God's trying to do here. And we are a part of this human journey that is trying to take place. Now, what we have to talk about is Pharaoh and ego. Imagine this. Imagine you've just got whooped by another god. This God's name is Yahweh. You thought that you were the most powerful person in the world. Now let's try this story on for size. You, me, we actually think that we're the center of the universe. Anyone been there? Man, everyone must be thinking about me right now. How did they, how did they just look at me? What were they trying to do? You ever been in line at like TSA and you're like so mad that the whole world is not moving faster for you right now, right? And you're agitated at everything. Your ego is flared up. That TASA agent says that thing to you. Yeah, that is my back, right? Yeah, right? Everything is angry now. That's what's going on. All of a sudden, we're interpreting the world in a much more aggressive way because when our ego is flared up, when our false self is flared up, We actually believe that we are the rulers of all things and that everything ought to be working for me. And we develop a lot of coping skills around that. And we avoid a lot because of that, because of our perspective of where those things are. So Pharaoh is not some ancient person who had a lot of issues back there and somehow a heart was hardened and couldn't see God. This is a part of our journey as a human being. There's a false self within all of us that somehow claims more in mine. And our false self, our ego that declares more in mine, right, is often doing that in a way that is destructive to us, is often doing that in a way that is led by control. That's always a good litmus test for my life. When I am living like this, everyone do this, squeeze really tightly, put your shoulders up to you, put your hands together, that's how I know I'm living like Pharaoh. And when I go this, that's how I know I'm living into my true self a little bit better. I know that feeling inside of me. 
I talk about it in here all the time. When somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm doing a lot of this with some explicitives in between, right? How could that person cut me off in traffic? I am Pharaoh, my friends, right? And it goes on into a lot of other more powerful and corrupt ways. Many of us have Pharaohs in our own families. We've talked about the Pharaohs that are in our workplace. We talk about the internal Pharaohs that are within many of us. Uh, that these pharaohs are simply trying to control, and these pharaohs are simply trying to say, more in mine. I'm watching this show, Narcos, on Netflix right now. I'm in season two, so if you know what happens in season three, don't tell me. I know that I can read Wikipedia. I've chosen not to. So thank you very much. I know Pablo Escobar dies. But as I'm watching this story, I, Dumbledore dies, book six. If you haven't known that by now, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You've been missing out on life for 10 years. So, um, spoiler alert. So what's happening in that story, though, right, there's these con constant destructive versions of, um, of life that's going on where Pablo Escobar's ego is just to the umpteenth degree. And what I find interesting about the world is that the more powerful people become, the more their ego is destructive to other people. The more powerful your mom or dad is in the dynamics of your family, the more destructive they are to the overall dynamics of your family. The more powerful you become in your family, the larger ability that you have for terrorism within your family. Right? The more powerful the billionaire is, the more powerful the politician is, the more powerful you name it is, their ego has a larger ability to affect other people. And now their internal problems are no longer their internal problems. Their internal problems are now the external issues of the entire world. And so the question that we have to ask all of ourselves are, for the ego that was in me, for the false self that is within me, is this ego in check? Am I aware of this ego? Am I mindful of the places that I am asking to control, not only myself, but everyone else around me? You do not get to control people, places, or things, my friends. That is not how the world works. You may try to, and the tighter you squeeze, guess what happens? More bombs go off. There's more terrorism. There's more pain. And a phrase that we say in New Abbey all the time is it's simple. Hurt people hurt people. That's just the way that it works. And when your ego is out of control, when your false self is fired up, even though you may not realize it, that thing is leaking into the rest of the world. And so what happens here, right, is Pharaoh is representing ego for our own human journey. Pharaoh is also incredibly important because Pharaoh dies in Egypt still. And what we need to know in our journey is there will always be new pharaohs. There will always be new obstacles in our false self. The Bible calls this sin, by the way, right? This palpable disruption of shalom, this thing that affects all of us. We're not talking about like the cheap gospel version of like morality. Could you do this? Did you not have sex before marriage? All those wonderful things. We're talking about like the real kind of sin that's like actually affecting every single one of us right now. That's affecting the systems and individuals of this world. That kind of thing is always existent, right? At each stage of your evolution and your growth and your maturity. But you have to deal with the pharaohs and where they're at. And your pharaohs, as Brittany said a few weeks ago, do not go down easily. This pharaoh just endured 10 plagues. This pharaoh just endured the death of something that is so personal to it. If you've ever been around an addict, and I've been around plenty, you know this, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. Oh, man, I know it hurt my children this time, but I'm not going to do it again. And there seems to be a farther and farther bottom that, 
that people can get to. And that's some terrifying stuff, but it's a real part of the human journey. And the Exodus story lets us know that there are places that our pharaohs can die. They may come up in new ways later on in life, but these pharaohs are, have a difficult time going down. So you're pharaoh, you've encountered the 10 plagues, and now you're at the Red Sea, and you look out with your army behind you because your ego's exploding, and there's giant walls of water around you. And what do you say to yourself? I'm going to go through. What? That is craziness. You have just seen massive destruction in your life. And there are giant walls of water around you. And your decision is for more pain and more hurt. And the answer is, yeah. This is a part of the human journey. So what do we do with these pharaohs? Well, that's what we've been talking about the last 11 weeks. The gift of Exodus is, oh, we don't deal with these pharaohs alone. We need God. God is ahead in these stories. God is behind. God is all around. God is in the midst. Uh, God is there even when you don't think that God is there. Even when you complain and say, God, you're not doing a very good job, which the Israelites have done many times in Exodus. Even when you say, God, I'm not up for the job like Moses. Even when you believe that God is not even in existence, the story of the scriptures are, this God just keeps showing up. And sometimes the most compelling thing about this God is this God shows up in the most God-forsaken places. Not in the prettiest temples and not with the lasers, but in the places where we're most broken and most hurting when we think that there's nothing left. This God seems to be apparent. The other gift of Exodus is it says, oh, there's other people who've gone before you. We need Moses in these stories. We need to know there's somebody else who's been in the desert before us. That's why we spent all that time talking about Moses and Midian. Moses was 40 years old when he killed, right, the Egyptian and ran off to the desert. Moses spends 40 years of his own life shepherding sheep and having his family in the desert. He knows what it's like to be in the middle of nowhere. Again, this is not literal language. This is language you're trying to say to you. Guess what? You're not the only person who's gone on this journey. And I love combating this reality in our millennial and I'm a millennial world. It's just about my truth, man. It's just about our truth. Like that's like the purest reality. That's the greatest truth in the world. No, it is not. If your truth is the ultimate reality, that is a terrifying thing. If my truth, my finite experience, my whopping 33 years on this earth, even if I have 100, is the ultimate reality for all of human existence, that is a terrifying thing. And we give ourselves up to the infinite and we take all of our finite stories and we put them together and that's how we get tradition. And we get to look to those things and say, oh, my truth is part of an interdependent upon a greater truth and a greater reality that I'm a part of on this human thing. Now that's really compelling and something that I wanna be a part of. So we have God, we have people who've gone before. If we have the Moseses of this world, who better to lead you through a desert than someone who's already been there for 40 years? Who better to lead you to a place of encountering and experience God than the one who saw God in the burning bush? And as the rabbis say, it's not that the bush started burning, it's that the bush was always burning and Moses finally had eyes to see. It's not that someone's gonna take you to some existential place where you'll finally encounter God. It's that you'll be open to the wisdom of those who've gone before you and they'll open your eyes to a little hindsight and you'll look back and you'll say, oh, there was burning bushes around me the entire time. That's the gift of how we confront the pharaohs with God and the wisdom of others who've gone before us many times before. 
And then the story is with their help, with others, love God and love others. It's almost like it was all there. Then we can actually encounter and deal with this journey in a real way. And the story is important that the waters close over Pharaoh. That was the Egypt of your life back there. Now it's time to move forward. Here's the reality of that story. Egypt was comfortable. I know Egypt. I know it's abusive. I know it's addictive. I know it's painful. They're still my mom and dad, right? Oh yeah, Thanksgiving. I'm really excited. Some of you got these versions of your story in some way, shape, or form too, right? I'm still gonna go back to the thing even though I know it's not good for me. And this story is have a little boundaries. Get yourself a little bit forward. You might not be able to go back there. And in fact, God is saying, close the door on some of the Egypts in your life so that you can move forward. You're going to move into a new desert. You're going to move into a new wilderness. There's going to be troubles as you're conquering the promised land ahead. But in each stage of your journey, allow that Pharaoh to die and allow the good people and God who's ahead of you and with you to help move you forward in this journey in some way, shape, or form. And now we have the Israelites. The Israelites are our true self, right? We had our false self, which is Pharaoh and our ego. Now we have our true self, which is just the best version of who we are. You all know the best version of who you are. Think of the different moments in your life. Think of when you were in high school and you acted in certain ways and you knew there was like a little something better in you, but you're like, man, once I graduate, this is all gonna be different. Think of when you were in college and you knew that there was like a little better version of yourself, but you're like, oh, but I'm like, I'm kind of still like dabbling in these things or kind of like hanging out with these people. But like, I know like deep down inside, like there's a, there's a pure, healthier, more mature, transformed like thing in there. And I'm like moving towards that thing, but it's just going to take a little bit of time. And probably when I graduate, I'm going to get there. Right. And then you like get into like your rest of your adult life and you're like those early twenties and you're like, oh, okay, I know. Like, and you do know, and guess what? The thing did transition. The truer part of yourself did keep coming out. It did keep moving forward. And this is the Israelites. But guess what? It kept doing it and kept coming out with a lot of work and help. It wasn't perfection. It was a process that you were engaged in. And so part of the reality of your true self is be gracious to yourself. Be merciful to yourself. Love yourself. Know that being human is the hardest job that you will ever have. And if you take that job seriously, then you're taking that job seriously for all your fellow human beings around you. Because not only do hurt people hurt people, but transform people have the ability to transform people. And so when you are the Israelites and you get to the edge of the Red Sea and you didn't think there was a way through and God stepped in or others who had a little bit more wisdom and maturity stepped in and those walls of water closed down around, now you have a different story to tell. And now you have a little bit of hindsight. And maybe 5, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, a younger you is going to come to the world and they're going to come across you and they're going to say, ah, you too? I wasn't alone in this? You mean marriages have been difficult for other people? You mean I'm the only one who's ever had to figure out their sexuality? Oh, you mean the racism of this world has been going on for thousands of years? And I don't say that lightly or trite. I say that of, I firmly believe that the arc of this universe is moving forward, right, with justice. Or, you know, the Martin Luther King quote that I just butchered. <laughs> that one, Google it. It's a great one. And we've talked about it in here before. And I believe that. But I also believe that while we're in the midst of that moral arc and a part of that justice, it's going to be hard work. 
And so the rabbis will say that as the walls of water to the right and the left, there were two people walking down through the sea. And one of them was looking down at his feet. And he said to himself, man, there's mud all over my sandals. And as the woman was looking up, she said, no, there's giant walls of water all around us. What's your perspective? Is the perspective of life the mud in our sandals or is the perspective of life, oh, there's actually a miracle and a gift going on here. I'm terrified of what's behind us and I have no idea what's ahead of us. But life has shown me with some wisdom and the wisdom of others and some trying to figure out this God thing that I can and must go on. And so our true self always leads us to a greater reality that is interdependent upon others and to a truth that is beyond any of our finite realities and is a great story of the scriptures. The false self always says this is all about your control and what you can figure out and you got this and more is the answer and mine is the declaration. But we learn to say no to these things. And if we can do that, then we participate in the Exodus story in a different way. Then we participate in our own suffering like we talked about last week and our own liberation in another way. And then we get to say to the world, oh yeah, I've been there too. And not in some right metaphorical way. You get to offer your specific story to another specific human being and you get to be a part of this transformation and this healing as well. And we talk about these themes all the time at New Abbey because what is there else to talk about? But our human journeys and the invitation that God is offering to us in it. And so the book of Exodus moves forward in this place from the first section of Exodus was all about deconstruction. This first section of Exodus ending here in Exodus 14 is all about a world that has been upturned. And how many of you have been there? I once believed these things. We used to be in a promised land. There was this Joseph guy. He moved us all to Egypt and now we're in this new world and it's not that way anymore. You have a version of your story. I grew up in this household in this kind of church and this is what my family told me and these are the things that I believed in. But then this thing happened. I dealt with some real oppression and real pain and suffering in this world and I can either choose to throw all of that away Right, We talk about it in here all the time. This has always been your view of God. This is what you grew up with and what you knew. And then you say to yourself, I guess my choice is just to take it away and I'll believe in nothing until you realize there was a stool here the entire time. There was a bigger version of my story. Now that's more interesting than just walking away from the whole thing. And then one day you're going to take the stool away and you're going to say, there was a room here the entire time? And that thing's just going to get bigger and bigger and more interesting and more compelling. But it's all about how you want to approach that and how you're going to allow the wisdom of others into that journey with you. And so we finish by talking about a little bit of wine. Jesus has this great story where he talks about you just can't put old wine into new wineskins. You cannot take the version of Egypt that you live and your life back there and put it into new wineskins. That's just not the way that it works. Those things will burst. The cup cannot handle your stool, right? Your sobriety cannot handle your addiction. Your new level of consciousness cannot handle that former consciousness, right? Your new ideologies are bigger than those ideologies. You taking the Bible seriously is hard to deal with taking the Bible literally. You having a view of a universal God who says everywhere and always is going to be difficult to talk about with your conservative aunt at the Thanksgiving table when she's talking about her church is the only one who's going to survive the rapture, hypothetically speaking. It's going to be hard. And you got to know that the thing gets bigger and you got to learn to navigate the Egypts that you left behind and the places that you're moving forward to. And you might have to build some new wineskins to hold the new wine that God's pouring in because the old ones will just never work. 
and you can keep trying to force that wine in there, you can keep trying to force your ideologies in there, you can keep trying to change your family, and guess what? Those things will burst every time. And that's another kind of ego. I'm so transformed and healthy now, look at me, everyone, and come on and follow. The, there's people in this room who have a lot of wisdom. Ed and Lucia Barron. And I promise you, if you go talk to them right now, and you're like, oh yeah, like you were the people of wisdom for my life, they're always going to be humble enough, like, oh, I don't know, maybe, that sort of thing, right? And there's people like that in New Abbey who've been a little bit farther down the road, and they always carry humility with them for the suffering that they've endured. And they have a lot of wisdom for the road ahead. The sea is closed. We have made it to the other side. Life will evolve, and it will move forward. I do not know where you're at, but this is not just your journey. This is all of our journey. This is the story of Scripture. And I'm thankful that we are invited in to participate with it. I am thankful that we are not alone, that there is a God who is ahead and who is behind and who is all around us, even when we don't believe it. I am grateful that we are not the first humans to walk this path. There have been billions before us, and we seek their wisdom too. That is the gift that Exodus gives us. Let's ask these, answer these questions together. What's one concrete step you can take to contribute time toward your true self? That's really great that that's that question because I did not talk about that at all in my sermon. Here's what I forgot to mention to you. Fantastic. Uh, millennials, don't go to church anymore. I don't know if you know this. You go to church. That's fantastic. Most of you are millennials in this room. What do millennials do now? They go to CrossFit and SoulCycle. That's what statistics tell us. In Los Angeles, millennials are more spiritual than they've ever been. There's not more millennials becoming atheists. There's more people saying, when I ride that bike, I am closer to God, right? And why is it such a big deal? It's community-oriented. It's de-authoritizing leadership. You're embodying yourself versus most of Protestant and Western Catholic theology, which was all about body bad, soul good. Not in that world. It's called soul cycle, right? Your body and your soul and your spirit work together, and we love that stuff. In CrossFit, you don't go to CrossFit and they don't sit you down for a lecture kind of like this. And today we're going to talk about the theory and history of CrossFit. In uh, 2004, the CrossFitters began CrossFitting. No, you CrossFit, right? And for this journey to work out, you have to go practice it. For a habit to change, for you to endure transformation, even if you want to start brushing your teeth in a different way, psychologists will tell us you need to put six to ten hours into that practice a week. If you want to be someone who transforms other people, you got to put six to ten, six to ten whoa, said that word wrong. <laughs> I'm not scared of my Freudian slips. It's fine. Six to ten hours into your practice a week. Uh, whatever that thing may be, right? Is that we talked about in here, finding a mentor or a mentee, finding a community of people who can support you around you. Do you need a therapist or spiritual director? I do, I can't pay for it. Great, like we've said before, we can and we will because this is the thing we care about the most is the transformation of your journey, right? Um, is it you need to go to a 12-step group? Is it for some of you, you have honestly admitted here, I've come out in the last few years and my family won't accept me and I need a mom and dad to be there for me for this Thanksgiving because my mom and dad are not there. I don't know what it is, but what kind of relationships do you need to build and invest in so that you're not talking about the theory of your human journey, but that you're actually living this story out? And now that's a little bit better version, and I should have saved you 20 minutes more of a sermon by just saying that so that you can answer this question. Find those same people.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.